Mark chapter 15 is where we're going to find ourselves. And we're going to visit, with the aid of Mark, we're going to visit a day. We're going to go back and visit a day that defies description and is the day of days. This day was not just different or abnormal or rare or uncommon or unusual. None of those words do justice to what we're going to read in Mark chapter 15, verses 16 through 39. What we're going to see is a day that words can scarcely describe. We're about to witness something that defies explanation. The normal words to communicate about normal days fall flat and do not work here. This day is not just different or abnormal or rare or uncommon or unusual. There's never been a day, nor will there ever be a day like this day that we will witness here through the eyes of Mark. This day is the turning point in history. This day is unparalleled. There was never a day like this before. And there can never be a day like this again. This day is different because on this day, we will witness the mocking, the beating, and the crucifixion of Jesus. This day is different not because, not because Jesus was beaten. Many people have been beaten. This day was abnormal not because he was mocked. Many have been mocked. This day was rare, not, 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 not rare because multitude had been, had been affixed to crosses. This day was unparalleled because of who all of this happens to. The King of Kings beaten, the Son of God mocked, the Anointed One affixed to a cross, the Light of the World scorned, the Author of Life dead. Unparalleled. But yet, in this unparalleled day, never did such a victory come from what seems to be a complete and total loss. For all the world... Jesus, beaten, mocked, and crucified, seems like a rout. And everyone in our passage sees Jesus as a fraud, a fake. But we know better. We know here is a victory. Never had a death been a victory until today, this day. Never had a death given hope until this day. There's never going to be a day like that day. So let's look At that day, in Mark chapter 15, I'm going to read beginning in verse 16, and you can follow along as I go down through verse 39. The soldiers led him inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, cloak, twisting together a crown of thorns. They put it on him, and they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. 
And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. With him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come down and to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us this morning, continue to speak. As we read your word, we know you speak. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear today. Lord, this day that we're going to look at is a day that is not easily described. But I pray, I pray by the power of your spirit, you would help us to see what you would have us to see. Pray, Holy Spirit, you would be here active amongst all of us, working and leading. We don't want to just want to learn, we want to change. And I pray that would happen in your name, Jesus. Amen. Two thoughts this morning to guide our way, the derision and the dereliction. The derision <coughs> and the dereliction. Derision. Now, we all know crucifixion because we've seen, we know about crucifixion. We have crosses, some of us as jewelry. We have, some of us have, have, we have a picture in our mind's eye. Crucifixion was surely a macabre and dreadful agony. And the victim would, would endure penetrating and unspeakable pain. But I want you to notice when we read verses 16 through 39, though Jesus suffered intensely and immensely, Though his body was beaten, though he was crowned with thorns, though his, his feet and wrists were nailed in place, though he was, he was hung on a cross, we hear no words of description describing the pain that Jesus endured. Mark does not tell us that Jesus writhed in pain or screamed in agony. Jesus, Mark does not tell us that Jesus, anything about his physical pain. Not one word. Now, all the original readers of Mark 
They had seen hundreds, if not thousands of people writhing in pain on Roman crosses. The pain of Jesus would have been unremarkable to many people because many people endured the same, and usually for longer. Jesus hung on his cross for six hours. Typically, it took days for people to die. Now, it might sound heartless, but the pain was unremarkable and not not what Mark wants us to see in this passage. What was remarkable was the derision he endured and then the dereliction that he endured. People did not let him die in peace. They heaped disdain on him with both hands. And Mark wants us to see the mocking that he endures, the dereliction that comes his way. And Mark explicitly mentions four groups. First, the Roman soldiers. Passover time in Jerusalem is a time that the the Roman soldiers did not like. They were tasked to keep the peace, and when the population would swell by four or five times, Jews would come and the tensions would be high. There was a nationalistic fervor that would take hold of many people, and sometimes it was known, there were, there were times that riots would happen in Jerusalem. And so all of the soldiers would have been on edge, and they would have been, they would have been troubled by the fact that Passover was coming. And so when Jesus, the Nazarene, was handed over to them by Pilate, they were able to blow off some steam and take out their frustrations on him. In verse 16, we read that the whole battalion gathered. That wasn't five or six or ten or twenty That was 600 soldiers gathered to mock and make sport of Jesus. And look at what they did. Verse 17. And they clothed him in a purple cloak. Purple is is the color of royalty. And twisting together a crown of thorns. The thorns would have been about an inch long. They put it on him and began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. They put a reed in his hand. It was a mock scepter. You see, these soldiers, they understood royalty. They served Caesar who was royalty. And this Jesus, he was captive and he was beaten. He was alone and he was weak. He was quiet. He had no army, no throne, no crown, no attendance. And his own people wanted him dead. And so the soldiers, to have a little bit of fun, gave him a mock coronation. They probably thought this fake king deserved a fake coronation. To them, Jesus was a fool, and he deserved to be mocked. They had never seen a king like this who was so weak. They had never seen a king without any followers. They had never seen a king with no throne or no defense or no army. They'd never seen a king allowed himself to be beaten and crucified like this. To them, he was no king at all. He was a fraud in their mind, so they heaped scorn on him. Hail, king of the Jews. But what they did not understand was that the crucifixion would be the way Jesus proved his kingly status. Jesus' death was not the site of his defeat, but the site of his coronation. By dying, he showed that he was king, not just of the Jews, but king of kings. But they didn't see that. Jesus' death was an unlikely victory. The soldiers saw him as a fraud. The other group that mocks him, it starts in verse 29. These are onlookers or passers-by. Verse 29, And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. 
And as people walked into Jerusalem, all the crucifixions took place outside of Jerusalem. And lots of times there would be, there would be miles and miles of people hanging on crosses as people walked into town. And it was the way in which Rome kept the peace. And so this time, people walked into town and they would see Jesus and they were deriding him, saying, you can't do anything you said you were going to do. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it. We know he meant die and come back to life. But the onlookers were calling him a false prophet. He claimed to be able to do something incredible, impossible, and here he is suspended on the cross. He's a false prophet, and false prophets deserve to die. How could he rebuild a temple if he couldn't even save himself from a criminal's cross? So the onlookers wagged their heads and shook their fingers and mocked him as a false prophet and a fool. To them, the, onlooker, the onlookers thought Jesus was a fraud because he was losing. But what they didn't understand was that the crucifixion did not show him to be a fraud. His dying proved that he was no false prophet. He would do much better than build a physical temple in three days. He would come back from the dead and become the new temple, the new center of worship. The cross was a site of unlikely victory. Even though the Roman soldiers and the onlookers, they didn't understand. Neither did the Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders mocked him as a false messiah. Look at verse 31. And so also the chief priests with all the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. The chosen one, Messiah, the Christ, in their minds, could not hang on a cross. They all would have believed that that meant Jesus was uniquely cursed by God. They had chapter and verse, Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 22 and 23. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and remember they condemned him for blasphemy, and he, put, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a, <clears throat> for a hanged man is cursed by God. If he were really the Christ, they reasoned, he would not be cursed by God. He would not hang on a tree like that. What kind of Messiah would allow himself to die like that? He was a pretender. He was fake. Surely the real Messiah would not allow that to happen. He seemed like a fraud. But what the Jewish leaders did not understand was that if he did save himself and come down off the cross, he would be completely unable to save anyone else. <coughs> he came not to show his power by coming down off the cross. He came to show his power by dying and rising again. He came to show his power by staying on the cross and bearing the punishment of others. If he saved himself, there would be no possibility for salvation for anyone else. The soldiers, the onlookers, the leaders, even the thieves mocked him. The criminals reviled him. He got it from every direction. The thieves were dying for their own crimes. Jesus was a fake criminal. He did no wrong. Although he was dying to rob death of its power and, taking, and looking to take away the power from sin. 
Everyone there on that day saw Jesus dying on a cross. The soldiers and the onlookers, the leaders and the thieves, they all said he's a fake. He's a fraud. He's not who he says he is. The derision was bad, but then the dereliction is worse. Dereliction means desertion. And this is what happened to Jesus. The father did not actually just desert the son. He cursed his son to carry the sins of other people, to pay the price for things he did not do. So far, we do not have Mark telling us that he cried out in pain. We do not have Mark telling us that he cried out against the mockers. We do not have Mark telling us that he cried out for anything except when we get to Mark chapter 15, verse 34. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, the reason this day was unparalleled and also the site of a wonderful victory is because it was the day the Father turned against the Son. The day that the impossible happened. The triune God turned against Himself. The Father treated the Son as if personally responsible for all the sins of all His people. That is unrepeatable. That is unparalleled. That defies Description that is utterly and completely unique. And as the Creator hung dying, creation itself appears to recoil in horror and begin to fall apart. The sun is blotted out. Look at verse 33. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. That's three hours of complete darkness. That is not a solar eclipse. The sixth hour is noon. And at noon, it's as if the sun refuses to be witness to the travesty of what's happening on earth and stops its shining. The one who called into the darkness, let there be light, and there was light, was being engulfed by darkness. Why? If you're familiar with the Bible, you've heard of the famous story of the Exodus. In that story, we know God raised up Moses to lead the people of Israel who had been held as slaves for four centuries out of the land of Egypt. God sent Moses to Pharaoh to demand that he let his people go, and Pharaoh stubbornly refused over time. And so God sent a series of ten plagues to Egypt upon Pharaoh and his people so as to dislodge Israel from Egypt. Everything from the Nile looking like an open sore running with blood to frogs and gnats and hail. But do you remember the last two plagues? Most of us know the last plague. That was the plague where the angel of death visited the land and killed all the firstborn sons not protected by blood of a lamb. That was the first Passover. Interestingly, The plague right before the visitation of the angel of death was darkness. A darkness descended on Egypt that was so thorough, Moses says that it could be felt. And here, centuries later, on another Passover, in Mark Mark 15, another day has deep darkness descending. 
That first Passover, firstborn males of the nation of Israel were protected by a substitute of a lamb, slaughtered. The first Passover saw the angel of death pass over the sons protected by these lambs. Centuries later, another son hung, but yet this son had, this son had no protection. There was no lamb to take his place, no blood to offer in his stead. Instead, he was the one who came and offered his own life as an offering, as the sacrificial lamb for others. There was no Passover for Jesus. Jesus had no pass. There was no, the angel of death did not pass over him. He just received a fearful visitation, not just of death, but of the wrath and scorn of God. It was bad that the people mocked him, but it was worse that the son, that God, the father turned his back on God, the son and treated God, the son, as if he was personally responsible for all the sins of all his people. You see, the darkness that descended that day in Mark chapter 15 is darker than any day, that des- any darkness that descended on Egypt. The father rejected the son. The father turned against the son. The angel of death visited the son. There was no passing over. Jesus knew this was coming. Jesus knew this was the plan. He knew this. He knew this from, 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 from way before he came. But it's one thing to know something's going to happen and another thing altogether to experience it. It's one thing to know I'm going to be rejected by God. It's another thing to be rejected by God. It's one thing to know that I will experience scorn at the hand of God. It's another thing to experience that scorn. And so when that scorn starts to be heaped upon him, Jesus cries out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why? This wasn't a clinical question. This wasn't theoretical. He knew why. He knew why. But even still, as the suffering and affliction and wrath of God tumbled down upon the Son, He cries out and says, Why? Our Lord did not cry out in, as people rejected Him, our Lord did not cry out in pain, but He cries out at the rejection of God. He cried out in agony as the Father treated Jesus as if He was personally responsible for all my sins. He was rejected so that the people of God might never be rejected. Here we have this unlikely victory. Jesus was no fraud. He was a sin bearer. He was doing much more on that day than people could discern. He was dying in the place of others. He was winning a victory for us as believers in Jesus that we could not gain on our own. We could not obey ourselves into the presence of God. We could not be faithful enough to receive favor from God. We could not be good enough to have His love. But instead, we have a Savior who went and died so that we might be able to experience His blessing. We all sin and stumble in many ways. And as serious as that is, God will not reject those who trust Jesus Because of this day, he's already rejected his son. 
Jesus was rejected by God so that we might just feel from time to time rejected by God. Jesus experienced the real wrath of God so that we might just be disciplined by God out of love and not experience his wrath. Jesus was forsaken by God so that we might be validated by God. Is it because of us? And something we've earned? No. It's because of him and what he did on this day. It was victory in the face of defeat. It was victory when everyone was calling him a fraud. It was a victory. It was and is the most important victory that anyone has ever won for us. If you're a Christian, there is no day more important than this day. Without Jesus carrying these sins, dying and rising again, we would have no hope. Darkness was not the only validation that G- of, of, of Jesus going on here. There was another one that's barely mentioned in verse 38. It's the first sign of Jesus' victory. Look at verse 38. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, curtain doesn't do justice to what this was. It was a curtain in the temple to protect people from going into the most holy place. This curtain was 60 feet tall. Your average telephone pole is 36 feet tall. The curtain is 60 feet tall. It's nearly two times as tall as a telephone pole. Not only that, the curtain was thick. It was about that thick. It was about four inches, five inches thick. The curtain kept people out. Because in the presence of God, a sinful people could not come. The curtain was designed to keep people away from the presence of God for their own safety. It wasn't safe to enter into God's presence. And so that room was only used once by one man once a year. And that high priest would come in and offer a sacrifice for, the sin, for his own sins and the sins of the people once a year. And so the rest of the time, that curtain stood sentinel, keeping people away from the presence of God for their own protection. But after Jesus died, the, temple was to- or the curtain in the temple was torn. And notice Mark says, from top to bottom. He's telling us that no person could have torn that curtain. He's telling us, now, through Jesus, his people have access to his God. Access to God is now granted through his sacrifice. You see, the darkness and the curtain tell a story we need to understand. The darkness and the curtain tells us something about these, this most important of days. There is no passing over the firstborn son of God. The angel of death came and swallowed the firstborn son. There was no protection for him, and at his death, the curtain in the temple was torn so that his people might have access to the presence of God. By dying, Jesus created a new and living way. When I say access, that can sound so theoretical, so clinical, so what does that mean? 
in Christ as Christians, we can be for sure and for certain that we will never be sent away. Because Jesus was rejected. So do you feel weak? Go to God with confidence and ask for strength. Jesus died and rose again. Do you feel tired? Go to God with confidence because Jesus died and rose again. Do you feel discouraged? Go to God with confidence and ask for help. Jesus died. Do you feel depressed? Go to God and ask for help because Jesus died. Do you feel overwhelmed? Go to God. Ask for help because He has died. God will not, cannot, will never send you away because Jesus died. Do you feel weary? Do you feel like you can't take another step? Do you feel like the troubles of life are pushing down on you so hard you don't know what to do? Go to God and say, help me, and you have the very ear of God Most High. Why? Because you're good? Because you're worth it? Because you've obeyed? No, because Jesus died so that you might have access to God. One person died in our place. And one person in this account saw and understood. Verse 39. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Truly, he won. Even though he lost. He lost, we won. You see, that's what the cross means. He lost, we won. He lost, we won. Now, you might say, what kind of victory did we won? We have access just like we talked about. But every blessing that comes to us comes because of this day. Here's one thing. There's a couple things I just want to draw our attention to as believers that we can take confidence in. First, the crucifixion means that we will never pay for sins that we committed. Not now, not ever. Now you can say, yeah, I know, I'm forgiven. But let's get practical. Sometimes when we face suffering and affliction, you can be tempted to think, I know you can because I can be tempted to think this way too. When I suffer, that's a sign that God is somehow angry with me. That I'm being punished. That's false and unbiblical thinking. That's wrong. That's wrong. Your suffering cannot be for punishment that you, for the sins you've committed. God poured out all the punishment he had on Christ. He spent it all. He spent it all on Jesus so that we might be able to suffer knowing that he is with us and that he has purchased our access to him. Our suffering may be difficult. Our suffering may be may be confusing. Maybe we lose jobs, we don't have bills, we have bills we need to pay, maybe our credit's ruined or we have bankruptcy. Maybe we're sick and every step hurts. Maybe you think that you're just worthless and no good. Maybe you're marked by the wounds that you carry around in your life from the past. 
You might think, I deserve it. God should be mad with me. You know what? Maybe he should, but he's not. I can tell you one thing for sure. Because of this day and the victory won on that day, the suffering you experience today and ongoing is not a sign of God's displeasure with you. I have too many people ask me, am I going through this because God is angry with me? If you're a Christian, the answer to that is a steadfast no. Does God discipline those he loves? Yes, but that's not in anger, nor is that in wrath, and discipline is a completely different thing. How do I know? How do I know that that there is no more punishment for us? Well, I know because I see Christ crying out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you know what the answer is? So that I might not be forsaken. So that if you're a Christian, you might not be forsaken. In your day of trouble, in your hour of disappointment, go to him. You can now. The crucifixion is our victory. His death was our victory. Crucifixion means... No longer can we or will we be punished for sins we commit. Secondly, crucifixion means that our forgiveness is purchased forever and we have access forever. We're not just told, like in the, the writer of the Hebrews doesn't just say, hey, you're forgiven. He says, go boldly into the presence of God because Jesus died and opened the way. Have you ever been convicted of a pattern of sin and feel like you're on probation or damaged goods? That's not from the Lord. Have you ever felt so dirty and so compromised like you can't be forgiven? That's not from the Lord. The crucifixion tells us that our Lord died and lost so that we might win. There is no one so dirty who can't be made clean. Some of you here might be like the centurion standing and watching and looking at this account here in Mark chapter 15, verses 16 through 39, and watching. And you wonder, who is this Jesus? He is the Son of God. And if you're not following him as the Son of God, look and see his love. His love extended to you, exhibited to you, by dying in your place. And all you have to do, you don't have to clean yourself up, you don't have to try to become a better person. You come and you trust Jesus and he will give you the forgiveness purchased here on this day and the access forevermore opened up by his death on the cross. He lost so that any who come to him might win. This day of days that can't be repeated and we'll never see again. That day of days, here in Mark chapter 15, verses 16 through 39, that day is the day of our greatest victory. I will not 
and you will not, Christian, pay for sins you committed. He was cursed so that we might be blessed. He was crushed that we might live. The story's not over, but that's next week. Let's pray.